1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to push it a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the cash of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. It's so good to see you all here. This is a highlight of my week. I I absolutely love... Uh, coming to church. I love coming and being with you guys. Uh, you are family to me, and it is such a, such a joy to just be able to, to be able to be here to, and just to open God's Word. I, I love to, to hear God's Word. I'm going to put a plug in for uh, uh, one of our newer people that's coming to church. Chanti is teaching a class at the Sunday school hour. Uh, for, uh, it's uh, Old Testament. Very, very well done, and I would highly encourage you if you are here dropping off your kids and don't know what to do, rather than going over to Pacific Coffee, here's an opportunity for you to really learn, learn something about the Old Testament. As well, I have been neglecting, and I'm surprised that uh, she continues to work with us, but we have hired a new administrative assistant to, with, to help out with Dory, and that is Louise. Louise. Or should I call you Lucille? It's always I get the wrong name. Louise, would you stand up? Lu- Louise is working for us now. And she is, Linda Yu has, has stepped down. She has resigned. She's taking other work. And uh, we have somebody like Lucille in the office who speaks both Cantonese and Mandarin. And as well, she's uh, very good around uh, administrative things. And so we are really, really glad to have her here as well. Um, next week, we're going to be done with the Experiencing God series. But I want to prepare you for next week because next week I'm going to have some cards that I'm going uh, to give out to you during the, during the service that I would like for you to write out. And here there's two things that I want, you to, I want you to put on there. I want you to put your name. Because last time we did this, there were a lot of things that you know, people put prayer requests on there, but very few people put their names on there. What I would like for you to do is to put your name on there and answer this question. How has God spoken to you in this series and what is it that you sense God telling you to do 
or the church to do during this time. Okay, so I'm giving you a whole week to think about that. I know, of course, you'll think about it next week, Sunday morning. Is Oh, yeah, that's right, we're supposed to do this. But you'll get that next Sunday. But I just want to be preparing you for that as we come into service next week. Heavenly Father, thanks again. Because as we come before your word this morning, we come before the author of this word. And Lord, as uh, your servant, I come here. I come here not at my at your at behest of the people here, but at yours. You were the one that called Becca and I here. You're the one that's called each and every one of us here. And God, I pray that you're, this morning that your word would not come with wisdom or eloquent speech, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that our faith might not rest upon men, but it might rest upon you. Holy Spirit, you are a teacher. You will always lead us in the truth. You will always speak the truth. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would speak truth to our hearts, that God, you would be the one that walks amongst us. Truth is never discovered. It is always revealed. And Holy Spirit, would you be the one that opens our hearts and our minds to hear and to understand what it is that you are saying to us today. And all the glory goes to you. For you said in your word, it is not for us. It is not for us, O Lord, but it is for your glory. And you will not share your glory with another. So, Father, we want to get out of the way to allow you to speak to our hearts today. And in advance, we glorify you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are at week six of seven. And we've already know, we already know that the first week was God is always at work around you. Have you been seeing how God is at work around you? Have you been noticing that? I've been noticing that in my own life. One of those things I've been praying is, God, please, you know, if you give me an opportunity to, if there's somebody that you put in my path that I know speaks English, God, give me the courage. And again and again and again, people, God's bringing people out of the woodwork that I've never seen around our, around our apartment complex. Have you been seeing God at work around you? Are you asking God, God, where is it that you are at work around me? The second thing that we know is what? God pursues you. God pursues you to have a love relationship with you. God is pursuing every single person that you see to have a relationship. And God pursues a relationship with you. And just because you have a relationship with Christ, just because you have said a prayer, that's not where it stops. God continues to deepen that relationship with you. The third thing we know is what? God invites you to join him in what it is that he is doing. Invitation comes from God Almighty himself to join you. He doesn't come to you and say, hey, what do you think we should do on this? He comes with something that he's already doing. So whatever it is that God has been showing you, whatever it is that God has been talking to you about, he is already there, he's already doing it. And remember, when he comes, he doesn't come to say, well, what do you think we should do? He comes revealing who he is so that we might have faith. He also comes revealing what it is that he's going to do and how it is that he's going to accomplish that. We know that God speaks. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. He speaks to the church. He speaks through prayer, and he speaks through circumstances. And today we come to this sixth one. or The fifth one is a crisis of belief. That it will always lead, God's invitation will always lead to a crisis of belief that will require faith and action. And today we come to the sixth one. And the sixth one is this, you must make major adjustments in your life 
to join God in what it is that he's doing. This script that we read today, the scripture that we read today, is a classic example of this. Let's set it in context. This is the second year of Jesus' ministry, the beginning, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This isn't the first time that Peter, James, Andrew, and John have met Jesus. You go back to John chapter 1, and you see that's the first time that they meet Jesus. This is the year, the second year. They have been following Jesus around. And today is the day that God makes the call. There will be times in your life, those definitive moments in your life, where God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave what it is that you're doing and follow me. And this is that date for Peter and James and Peter and Andrew and excuse me and James and John, but specifically it's talking about Peter here. And as we read in the scripture, it says one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is Luke chapter 5 verse 1. By the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word. Jesus is incredibly popular at this time. Very, very popular at this time. This second year of ministry is what we call his year of popularity. He is very popular. People from all over are coming to hear him at this time. And it says in verse 2, He saw that the water at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, this is where, being from where I was in the United States, we lived in what we called lake country. There were over 300 lakes in the, in the county that we lived in. Beautiful. But one of the things with a lake, especially at night, at night when the water calms down, it, there can be a boat out on the lake and it can be quite a ways away from you. And there's two guys out there and they're talking about whatever. They're talking about football or they're talking about their wives or they're talking about work, you can hear everything that they are saying because the water amplifies that. This is what Jesus is doing. He is a little ways away from the shore. And for Peter, okay, Peter, can I use your boat for me? Can you push me out just just a little ways away from shore? Sure, no problem. Peter does that. It's morning. What has Peter been doing all night? He's been fishing. He hasn't been catching, but he's been fishing. He's been fishing all night, and when Jesus finishes the teaching, he says to Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And I wonder if Peter didn't, maybe inside, go, you ever had somebody try to tell you your business? I mean, I I see we got dentists, we got doctors in here, we got engineers, we got architects. You ever had somebody come and tell you your business? Hey, I, I, I think you should do this, this, this way. With Jesus saying to Peter, he says, Peter, put out your nets. Put, put the boat out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. What in the world did Jesus know about fishing? He didn't know anything, but he knew a lot about the will of God. God was in this, and God was moving. He might not have known about fishing. Well, what, what was, why was it so preposterous to Peter? Because you didn't fish during the day. The fish were in the deep, and they came up at night to feed, and especially if there were lights. That's the time of the day that you went fishing. And yet Jesus says, put your nets out there. And when they throw their nets out there, it's almost like, okay, 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 Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. And Jesus, does he have a big lesson in here? Oh, my goodness, does he have her. And when he throws the net out, it begins to pull, and it's like, oof, it's like pulling rocks back because the nets are absolutely full. And did you catch how full they were? 
the nets were so full that they begin to, the, the nets begin to break. And you notice, good fishermen, good fishermen here, they didn't yell. They motioned. You don't tell people where your good fishing spots are. You motion. You, they motioned them over there. And when they did, what happens? There's so many fish that they're filling up which boats? Peter's boats, as well as James and John's boat. I mean, that's a lawful lot of fish. And when Peter sees this, he realizes, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I'm standing in the presence of God. God, forgive me. And Jesus makes a statement here. He says, do not be afraid. You know what that catch of fish? Jesus showed two things to the disciples. He was able to do what they could not do. They had fished all night. I don't think they've ever had a catch of fish like this. He could do what only he could do. He could do what they could not do. And I think there's a second lesson in there. Did you notice what he says? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why would Peter need to be afraid? Why would I think there's some awe that's in the presence of God. But when Jesus says to him, follow me, he says, from now on, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, he says, you're going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. You're not going to catch fish. Don't be afraid. Why? Does the call of God upon our life, when we come to that crossroad where we know that God is speaking to us, does that sometimes elicit in our hearts fear? God, if you are serious, this is going to mean this. And then, and then God, how is this going to happen? How am I going to take care of my kids? I have kids in university, or I've got a pretty good job, and I've got a nice house. And if I do this, I'm going to lose this. Can you imagine what it was for Peter? His livelihood was doing what? Catching fish. If he leaves that, who takes care of his family? And I wonder if that isn't behind what Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you see the way in which I provided for you here? Why does Jesus, part of the reason that Jesus takes Peter out there and allows the catch of fish is not just to show him, not just to call him, but I really believe there's a second lesson in this as well. I can provide. I can take care of your family. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That's a really good scripture to memorize. It's easy. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. I remember when my kids were little, we would uh, go to Becca's parents. They, they weren't far away from us. We were in uh, Northern California, pastoring a church there. And our kids were little. And on Fridays, we would go to where her parents lived, uh, closer to San Francisco. And they had, a, they had a pool in their backyard. A lot of homes in that area had pools in their backyard. And we would go there. It was a, it was a cheap place to go. Plus, they would feed us in the evening, things like that. So you go to, you go to your in-laws. And, go, and the kids loved, loved to go swimming. But when they were little... It was one thing for them to go in, in, the, in the shallow end. But we would, I would stand down a little bit further where I knew that, that they couldn't touch the bottom. And I'd hold up my hands and I'd say, come here. And I could, I could still see them. They're kind of doing one of these on, 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 the, on the deck. And, and they'd say, no, no, you, you come get me. I said, no, no, jump. Jump. And, and they'd, they'd do one of these. And when they jumped, when they finally came to the place where they jumped, I didn't step out of the way and say, sucker. <laughs> I did what? I caught them. Once they knew that I would catch them, <laughs> then it was over. Daddy, daddy, catch me again, catch me again. But it's that initial leaving the dock. 
It's that initial leaving our place. It's that initial leaving what we know is comfortable, knowing what it is that we can do in order to join God in what it is that He's doing requires a major adjustment. One of those first major adjustments is in the area of faith. Is in the area of faith that can I trust God? I absolutely can. Will I trust God is the better question. Will I trust God in what it is that he is calling me to do? Because in order to follow God, you'll have to make major adjustments in your life. Major adjustments. I mean, what is it that that looks like? Because you can't stay where you are. You cannot stay where you are and join God at the same time. We see in Scripture, Abraham could not stay. He could not stay in Haran, where he was, and join God. What does it say in Genesis chapter 12? The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. For for Abraham to join God... He had to leave everything that was known to him, everything that was comfortable. Family. We know what that's like here in Hong Kong. Family is everything. And to leave family and to go, and Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. But Abraham could not stay in Haran and join God in what it it is that he was doing. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the Sinai Desert watching sheep and join God in what he was doing in Egypt. Esther could not remain silent and still be used by God to help protect the people of Israel. Matthew could no longer collect taxes and join God in what it is that he was doing. Peter, James, John, and Andrew could not remain as fishermen and join God in what it was that he, that he asked them to do. Did you catch what it says in, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 10? It, verse 11, excuse me. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left everything. Mark chapter 1, verse 20 says, Without delay he called them. Watch this. The same, this is a parallel account, same thing. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So when they pull the boats up to shore, what are they leaving? What are they leaving? Everything. Let's be specific about what it is that they're leaving. They're leaving family. They're leaving their job. Possessions. They're leaving it all. When Jesus says to Matthew in Luke chapter 5, just a little bit further on here, he comes to his tax collector booth and he says, follow me. What do we hear him doing? He gets up, he leaves it all, and he follows Jesus. To follow Jesus will require an adjustment in your life, a major adjustment. It will require faith, but it will also require on your part adjustments on our part. You know, I think about this in our life. You know, how, how do we make this? How do we make this applicable to our life? Because sometimes God calls you to make changes in your commitments. Those things that, that you are committed to, your job. God may be calling you. God may be speaking to you. And, and listen. You, you might be in that place saying, well, God's not calling me to do anything. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? Because sometimes we don't know what it is that God wants because we're not asking or we're not hearing. We're not listening to what it is that God is saying. Because sometimes what God calls, we may have to make an adjustment with our job. That may mean instead of working 90 hours a week, 
we work a normal 40 or normal 60 for Hong Kong. It, it may mean an adjustment. It may mean adjustment where now you're spending more time with your family. I, I cannot stress that anymore. One of the things I've said in every, uh, in every pastoral interview when I've been asked, I don't know if I said it here because it was just Beck and I, but in every other church, I said to the church, to the board that was in interviewing me, I said, I will not sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. Because sometimes we see that we see people who are in ministry and they have an amazing ministry, but their home is falling apart because they're not spending the time with their children. Parents, you have been given that responsibility of raising those children that God has put in your home. And it requires time. It requires a great deal of time. It requires patience, especially as they enter into their teen years when you just want to skin them at times. It requires time. It requires patience. It requires love on your part. But God may be calling you in this time to spend more time with your family, to make an adjustment because you're seeing your child and he's going this way. And you know that if you allow that to go on, your child is going to walk away from the Lord. And it's at those times you make those major adjustments in your life. What does that mean? Am I going to have to scale back on my time? But God, if I scale back on my time, if I scale back on this, then how am I going to provide for my family? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And all those who come to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Make adjustments in our time. Can I just meddle a little bit? You know, in, in the book of Exodus, uh, it, there, I think for many people, uh, we, we read it as the nine commandments and the one, the one suggestion. What's the one suggestion that we often look at? We have nine commandments. What's the one we often take as a suggestion? Especially here in Hong Kong. Remember the Lord's Day to keep it holy. To do what it is that God is calling, to set apart a Sabbath day, that means, <laughs> how am I going to get this done? Because for some of us, we work six days a week, and, and Sunday, or whatever day it is that we take as a day, that's our day to catch up on all of the other stuff that we didn't get done during the week. And yet God throws this verse in there that says, where he says, to honor the Lord's day to honor, to keep a day apart that's given only to him. God says, I give you six days. And one of those days, the other day, is mine. And we say, if I honestly did that, then how would I get everything else done? Does it come back to that issue of faith again? It absolutely does. And we live in Hong Kong, and we work six days. Sometimes we work seven days. And this, this, folks, this wasn't a suggestion. It was a command because God knew that we needed a day to allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. To take that Sabbath time, to take that day off. And will it mean a major adjustment in your life? It absolutely will. But can God provide? Can God take care of you? Test him in this and see. But doesn't he say that with the tithe as well? Sometimes... God may be calling us to, to begin to tithe, to begin to trust him with our finances. Now, I'm not saying this because we need money at the church. Go ahead and look. God has blessed us with a surplus, for Pete's sake. But God may be saying to you, 
I want you to trust me with your finances. I say that to you Filipinas. I say that to the rest of us. Because God calls us to trust him. God calls us to give to him what is his. And for some of us, that's a real struggle of faith that I will have to do that. But can God provide? Will God provide? He absolutely will. It's the question of will I trust him and will I walk in obedience with him? I was reading about a story about the guy by the name of Dave Phillips. You can look this up. Uh, he's, got the, he's the founder of the Children's Hunger Fund. Back in 1991, he felt that God was calling him to leave his job, and he was, his heart was so gripped by seeing children who were hungry that he began in his garage with one other employee, he began the Children's Hunger Fund. This is about the time that there was an earthquake in, in Los Angeles, and they, the, the city of Los Angeles called on him to help out. But there were people that were looking. They were looking all over the place. Where can I give the surplus things that I have? Here's all this food. It's in surplus. Where can I give this? What trusted place can I give this? And people began to deluge him with, with stuff. And he was wondering, okay, God, is this really what you are calling me to do? Out of the blue, he gets a telephone call from Honduras. And this guy on the end of the phone is a cancer doctor, an oncologist. And he says, why he calls Dave, I, I do not know. But he calls him and he says, do you have any, any way of getting this serum, this, this particular serum? And he said, I didn't even know what it was. He said, I had to write down what it was. And he said, I'll try. I'll look around. I'll, I'll call. I'll make some calls. He hung up the phone, and a pharmaceutical company called him as soon as he hung up the phone and said, we have 48,000 vials of this serum. He says, do you know anywhere where you can take that? He said, at that point, he said, I knew that what I was doing was what it was that God was calling me to do. After $1 billion worth of food has been distributed to over tens of millions of people all over the world, and every box of food that is taken out is delivered personally to the people who need it. He had to make radical adjustments to his life to do what it was that God was asking him to do. And now he's serving all people all over the world with a large multi-ethnic staff as well. But he chose to do what it was to follow God. will mean that there will be major adjustments in your life. The last one, as we, we look at, so we've needed faith, we've needed to make adjustments, but the last one is obedience. I want to tell two stories. Two stories in this of people who were called to leave all. We see that, that in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, they, so they pulled up their boats, left everything, and followed him. Matthew 4, 22, it says, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Also in the book of Luke, there are two stories. Two stories where Jesus calls, where in one instance, Jesus called for a total commitment, and another where it was totally unsolicited. And it was given all. The rich young ruler. In Luke's gospel, we see towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus, as he enters the city, that's where we hear Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, as he's calling out to Jesus, as Jesus comes in there. And then, then this man Zacchaeus. And what do we know about Zacchaeus? Not only was he a tax collector, or excuse me, back up. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Number one, you don't inherit eternal life. There are no second-generation Christians. Everyone makes that decision of their own accord. And Jesus tells him a few of the commands, and he says, I've done all those. I've done all those since I was a young man. And it says, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, 
He says, because this is what's God in your life. One thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that he turned away and he walked, walked away. Do you notice what Jesus didn't do? What didn't he do? He didn't go running after him and say, wait, okay, wait, wait. maybe not all, maybe just three quarters. He let him go. That is a scary thought because God will put out there before us what it is that he's calling for us to do. And we make the choice of whether or not we will be obedient to what it is that God is asking us to do. It involves faith. It involves adjustments on our part, but it also involves obedience. After Jesus speaks with the rich young ruler, you almost turn over like one more chapter in the book of Luke, and you meet a man by the name of Zacchaeus, incredibly wealthy. Incredibly wealthy man. He's not just a tax collector. Tax collectors were absolutely hated. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard about tax collectors. Tax collectors farmed from their own people. I mean, they, they took money from their own people. And he wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. What was it that caused Zacchaeus to want to see Jesus? When he hears that Jesus is there, I wonder if it's because one of Jesus' disciples is a guy by the name of Matthew who was another tax collector. Whatever it was, we see Zacchaeus doing two things that men never did. Zacchaeus ran. Men never ran in that, especially men of wealth. To run means you have to hike up your, uh, hike up your robe, and men never climb trees. I'm going to let you leave that one to yourself. Men didn't climb trees for a very specific reason. Number one, he's rich, but there's another reason. He didn't climb trees. And all the people, they saw Zacchaeus. He's a short guy. And they saw him up in the tree. And Jesus, as he looks up there, sees, knowing that God is at work in his life, and says, Zacchaeus, come down. For today I must be in your house. There is a huge cultural thing that's going on in that passage. When Jesus enters the town, the town was looking forward to, okay, who is it that's going to open up their home? Who is it that's going to extend hospitality? And Jesus, he's on his way through the town. And then he stops at Zacchaeus and he says, I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus does two things, huge. He says to Jesus, he says, Lord, here and now, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, if you've lived your life doing this, he says, I will give back how much? Four times. How much were they required by Jewish law? Two times. He's giving back a double portion. Anybody, I'll bet the people were lining up. I, I want in on that. You jip me, you rip me off here. And then he says something else. He says, here and now, he said, I give everything that I have to the poor. What has he just given away? He has given away everything. The rich young ruler would not give away anything. Here, he talks to Zacchaeus. And because God had done something in his life, he's saying, here and now, I, I give it all away. And Jesus says, today, today salvation has come to this home. It's evident that salvation has come to this home because of what's happened in this guy's life. Obedience is costly. Obedience is costly to those around you. I think of when Mary and Joseph were called by God. In a few months, we're going to be talking about Advent. When the angel comes to Mary, she's a 13 14, top 15, 
She could even be younger than 13. She could have been around 12, whatever it was. She was young. I just, it blows me away. In America, we have a hard time giving car keys to kids that are that age. And God is entrusting the Savior of the world to the womb of a teenage girl. And she says, let it be unto me as you have said, I am your servant. Did she have an inkling as to what it was that was going to be required of her to do what it was that God asked of her? Oh my goodness. The words that would be said, some of us come from small towns. And we know when something happens and how people talk. What about for Joseph? Joseph was expecting to marry Mary, you know, continue on in his carpentry practice. Sooner or later, they would have children and more children. And he comes to find out that Mary is pregnant. And he quietly wants to divorce her, but God says, no, no. What is inside of her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. I need you to trust me. Obedience is costly. Did it cost something for Joseph to follow what it was that God was doing? Oh, boy. And for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, obedience is costly. But not only is obedience costly, obedience requires total dependence upon God. Obedience requires total dependence upon God. The greatest example of this is Jesus. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That's an interesting Greek phrase. It means to do, make yourself what he never was. He never was. He said he made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient Obedient to death, even death on the cross. Did it cost something for Jesus to be obedient? It absolutely did. But why did he do it? And why do we do? Why do we pay the cost when we know what it is that God is calling for us to do? Why do we pay the cost? Because we love the one who calls us. Obedience is costly, but obedience is complete dependence upon God. When I was first in ministry... My first responsibilities was my wife and I were, uh, were missionaries in, uh, in, in California, uh, all up and down the, the San Joaquin Valley that would be from um, Fresno, Visalia, in the southernmost part, all the way up to Redding, California. It's just northern California. You've got L.A. down in the south. You go up to the northern part, and that's where we were. And we worked with 19 different churches. We worked with Hmong. We worked with Lao. We worked with Cambodian churches doing theological education by extension. Those are thrilling days to go in there and to teach. And, and one of my students was just amazing. He was from Stockton, California. Just amazing student. And one day I asked him, he was Hmong. His name was Noah Vong. And I said, Noah, how did you come to receive Christ? And he smiled and he said, do you have a few moments? And I said, yeah. yeah. He said, when we were in Laos, he said, my, my father, my father was the, was the shaman, was the shaman of the village and very powerful shaman. And he said, when my older brother got to a certain age, he said, my father was going to transfer the, the right to be the shaman to my oldest brother. But he said, the, the war happened, Laos fell, and we fled into Thailand. And he said, when we got into Thailand, there was a, at the Ban Vinai refugee camp, there, were, there was a church, an alliance church, a Christian missionary alliance church. And he said, my brother heard about Christ and prayed to receive Christ as my savior. He said, my father was so enraged 
that my older brother had received Christ, he came to me and he said, don't you ever pray to receive Christ. He said, the day that you pray to receive Christ, he said, you are no longer my son. Well, fast forward. Now they are in the United States. They're in Stockton, California, but his brother lived in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, toward the middle part of the United States. And his brother lived there, and his brother came to him, and he said, I want you to come and live with me. And so they drove from Stockton, California, all the way to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, about three days driving. And he said, my brother talked to me the whole time about Jesus. And he said, in my culture, he said, I couldn't tell my brother just to shut up. He said, I had to sit there and listen to him talk about Jesus the whole time. And he said, in my home, he said, he was always talking about Jesus. He gave me a Bible and he said, I didn't want to hear about Jesus because I was remembering what my father had said. If you ever become a Christian, he said, you will no longer be my son. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal in one culture. And he said, one day, he said, as he was reading, he said, I just read the that read the verse, John three sixteen in Mong, and he said, it spoke to my heart, and he said, I realized that I needed to pray to receive Christ. And he said, I asked my brother, my brother helped me to pray to receive Christ, and he said, you know that you need to call Father. And he said, I know. So he made the call to his father, and he, and he said, Father, he said, I, I have become a Christian. Bang! The phone went down. And his brother said, we, we need to go. We need to go to Stockton, California, and talk to Father. So they drove all that way out there. They prayed all the way out there, and they got to Stockton, and he called his father, and he said, Father, I, I'm in town. Bang! The phone went down again. And he said, when I got to where my, where my parents were living, he said, all of my clothing, all of my stuff was outside, outside of the home. And he said, my father turned his back to me, and he said, you are no longer my son. I said to him, Noah, I said, how does that, uh, how, how does that go? I said, you've, got a, you've got, a, got a small child. And I said, isn't the parents, isn't the, the father's side of the family the one who helps in the naming of that child? And he said, yeah. But he said, I didn't have a father. So my, my wife's family helped out with that. I said, would you ever do a different again? And he said, no. He said, I love my father. I love my family. I haven't stopped loving them. Even though they turned on me, he said, I still love them. But he said, I love what my heavenly father has done for me. And he said, I will not turn my back on my heavenly father. For Noah, obedience was costly, wasn't it? For him to do what it was that God called was, had to make some major adjustments. And it required faith on his part. What God calls us to do what God calls us to do is to trust him. And some of us are at that place today. In our church, we have uh, our, part of our vision statement is we gather. That's what we're doing right now. We grow. That's community groups. Okay, don't start putting away this stuff. Okay, hold on. This, this is a really important part here. We gather, we grow, we give, and go. And for some of us, we're at that gather place. We, we, we do good at coming to church on Sunday morning. But God's turning the heat up a little bit. And he said, I just don't want you here on Sunday morning. I want you to grow. And part of that growth process is being part of a community group. I love community group. I absolutely love being part of community group. We have fun. We, who knows what it is we're going to eat on a different day. We have fun. We laugh. We always take pictures. I don't know what it is about Hong Kong. Got to take pictures of you while you're eating your food. 
We take pictures, but we have an amazing time. And I grow to know these people. We pray together. We read God's word together. We grow deeper together. And for some of you, you've been at the first place of gathering. And God has been calling you to be part of a, of a community group, a group where you're going to grow, a group where you're going to trust people, a group where they're going to pray for you as well. For some of you, okay, you're part of that, you're, you're, you're gathering, you're growing, but God has put you at that place of giving. You say, I knew he was going to talk about money. He's talking about money already once. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the giving is not financial. The giving is yourself. And God is calling you. Some of you guys have amazing talents. And God is saying, I want you to put those into the game. Gather, give, gather, grow, give, and go. I can already tell you in last week we heard about what God was doing in Philippines, in the Philippines. In a couple of months, we're going to be challenged with what God's doing in northwest, northwest Cambodia. And there's some of you that God's going to tap on the shoulder. We're going to say, I can go. I can take a week. I can take 10 days and go and do some work in Cambodia. The question is, will I trust God? The question is, will I move out and do what it is that God is calling me to do? Where are you at today in that whole cycle? Of gather, grow, give, and go. Because where you are, if you're in the, just in that gather stage, I would challenge you. I would challenge you to move out, to find a community group. We got them all listed out there to find that. For some of you, it's that place of, of giving. You've got talent, you've got leadership talent, you've got the ability to teach in Sunday school class, and God's been tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe some of you are really good at leading worship or being part of a worship team. And you're just kind of sitting back and waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder. Well, take this as your invitation. If, God's giving, if God has given you gifts and strengths in there, use those for his kingdom. And there's some of you that God is calling to go. To go to, to, go to a place to, to be part of what it is that God is doing, not just here, but in another place as well. Will it require faith on your part? Big time. Is God able to take care of us? Is God able to take care of us? Amen. Yes, he is. And the question is, will we follow God where it is that he's leading? They left everything and followed him. You cannot stay where you are and join God in what it is that he's doing. It will require faith, adjustments, and obedience on our part. Father in heaven, thank you. And God, thank you for for what it is that, Lord, you have been doing in our lives. Because I don't know what's in the background. Lord, for some of us today, we've been looking, we've been thinking about joining a, a community group. And I just pray, God, for you to lead in that direction. To be a part of a group where you can be vulnerable. Where you can ask for prayer about things and know that people will pray. To join with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ for that fellowship that we so desperately need. 
Lord, for some of us, you're calling us to give. You're calling us to be part of what it is that you're doing. We're good at coming to church. And we may even be part of a community group. We've been holding back on giving because we're just so busy right now. And that's, Lord, where the adjustments come in. Lord, you are faithful. And wherever you call, you provide. And I pray that, God, we would have the courage to step out in faith and to do, God, what it is you're calling us to do. For some of us, you're calling us to leave things behind. For others of us, you're calling us to join you. And we cannot stay where we are and join you at the same time. Lord, would you make your will crystal clear, crystal clear for us. Lord, for others of us, you are calling us to go. You're calling for us to become involved in something that is not here in Hong Kong. And in the same way you talk to Abraham and the same way that you talk to others throughout history, the one who calls us is faithful. You'll do it. And I just pray that, Father, as a congregation, that in what it is that you are calling us to do, that, Lord, you will speak to our hearts. As we gather back together next week, as we finish out this series, Lord, would you be speaking to our hearts throughout this week of what it is that you are calling for us to do? And, Lord, would you give us as AIC the courage to join you in that? I praise and thank you, Lord, for this congregation for their love one for another. And I pray that, God, you would increase that. I pray that, Lord, you would bind us together in the, with the bonds of love. And I pray, Father, most importantly, that Jesus Christ will be lifted up in this place. That whenever anybody talks about Alliance International Church, they will hear about what Christ is doing. We'll hear the difference that Christ has made in people's lives, in marriages. And I thank you, God, that you are the one that walks with us through this week. You know those things that right now, Father, are just, they're consuming us. Even as we've been listening to the message, there are things that as we go into Monday, that we don't know how it is that we're going to deal with them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would not only be able to give those things to you, but that, Lord, you would show in a very powerful way that, God, you can superintend even these things. Lord, I pray that you'd pour more blessing into the lap of each one than what they could ever hold, and that out of them would flow rivers of living water. I just pray, God, your richest blessing. And I pray it all in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the grace, the mercy, the peace, and the precious love of Jesus, our Savior, who calls us to follow him, may our response be to him, yes. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you.